This is HRT, a podcast featuring interviews with HR leaders, researchers, students, and influencers. HRT takes trending topics and research in human resources, steeps them for 30 minutes or less, and leaves you with fresh-brewed ideas on how to drive high-performing, inclusive organizations and create meaningful work experiences. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD, the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to HRT. My name is Bethany Adams. I am your host. I love HRT, but truth be told, I am a coffee drinker. On this episode of HRT, I am going to share some conversations that I had with several HR influencers at the SHRM 18 annual conference, which was in Chicago, Illinois last summer. SHRM, or the Society for Human Resource Management, is the largest professional organization for HR with more than 300,000 members globally. And every year, SHRM holds an annual conference that provides an amazing opportunity for networking and learning for their members. Last year, more than 20,000 people attended SHRM 18, and it was amazing. And each year, SHRM asks a few influential HR leaders to blog about their experience and learning from the event. And I was honored to grab a few minutes of time with three of the SHRM 18 bloggers during the conference to get their perspectives on new HR trends, some of the content from their blogs, and their outlook on our profession. And so this episode of HRT will bring you those conversations with SHRM 18 bloggers Keith Enox, Jasmine Wilkes, and Carlos Escobar. My first interview was with Keith Enox. Keith graduated from Penn State with a degree in labor and industrial relations and says he pretty much knew right out of the gate that he was planning a career in HR. After school, he worked for a staffing agency for several years and then took a position as an assistant HR manager. And it was in this role that Keith worked under the manager of HR and training and eventually was promoted up into that role when that manager retired. Being that Keith's background wasn't in training and development, I started by asking him about this opportunity. What is it like to supervise a department where you're not necessarily the expert? I think that's one of the biggest fallacies of leaders is they feel like they have to know everything and they have to be the one to make the final decision. And I think that nothing could be further from the truth as far as leadership. I think rather than having the answers, I think leaders need to know the right questions to ask. What does this mean to to our company? How do we get there? How does this affect our team members? How can they contribute? How can they own this? Um, And I think if you ask the right questions, I think you'll find that your employees more or less know the right answers. Sometimes you need to help guide them a little bit and, and offer some advice. But I think the role of a leader really should be guiding and, and assisting more than directing. And if you're if you're making all the decisions, I think you're doing it wrong. I couldn't agree more with Keith's perspective. In fact, there is research that leaders who embrace the idea that they don't have all the answers may actually discover and create new ways of working through issues and new opportunities for their team. I think this exploratory mindset is exactly what Jennifer McClure was getting at in our last episode of HRT around the need for curiosity. So next, I wanted to talk to Keith about his blog, Working Title HR. On his about page, he includes a quote that seems to embody the theme for his HR blog. The quote is, I'm better than I was, I'll be better than I am. 
And so I asked Keith to share with us why this spoke to him as an HR professional. I think where it spoke to me is that looking at myself five years ago, I'm a much different professional now than I was. I, I've, I've learned so much, some things that I look back on and say, I think I did that pretty well. Others I look back and, and say, nah, I probably <laughs> didn't do that as well. But yeah. luckily I, I am, am enough of a professional. I believe that I learned from it and I didn't get so entrenched in the wrong thing. I allowed myself to get on the right path. So that was the first half of it. And I think the second part of that is always being a continual work in progress. Um, and that's really where working title HR com kind of comes in. It's, it's about the life cycle of a professional and, and not just our life cycle as, as HR professionals, but also the life cycle of the people that we lead, which I think really at the core of, of a good leader, of a good HR manager is how do you get the best out of people? Going off of the idea of improvement, I asked Keith about another blog post he wrote titled Find Your Left Foot. The post was around the idea that we often spend time trying to improve the areas where we are weakest, rather than working to exploit the areas where we are already strong. And research actually tells us that we are more productive, happier at work, more engaged if we do the opposite, focus on the areas that are our strengths. So I asked Keith to tell us why he thinks this is so important. From a young age, we, we look at our kids and we, we go, oh, okay, you got some A's, that's great, and oh, here's this one, we have to focus on how we need to get you, you know, we need to get better in that. And we don't want to overlook and just accept that we might not be doing as well in a certain area. We can always improve and we should always be trying to improve in everything. So not saying that we should just throw aside things that we're not as strong in, but how leaders have a tendency to maybe overlook or gloss over, spend less time celebrating the strengths and instead they spend a lot more time on the, the, the weaknesses. And so the impression that the employees left with then is actually one that's skewed more towards the negative. There's some things that they need to get better in. We can get you there but let's not overlook all the good things that you do as well. Yeah, thanks. So you're a dad. I am. And I've noticed a couple of blog posts that you've had that are around parenting, around kids. You had one around finding your inner child. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of love this concept, right? Because kids just love to have fun and they're not scared to try things. Mm -hmm. So is that what we should be doing in the workplace, you think? I believe so. And uh, yeah, uh, we have twins, a boy and a girl. Aww. They just they just turned three on Friday and, then, uh, and Father's Day was sa Saturday, Sunday. So it, was a, so it was a red letter weekend. <laughs> but I, I did a couple of posts on things that I've learned from being a parent. And I think one of the biggest things is patience. And it really goes back to being a coach because kids come in as a blank slate. They don't know anything. And you need to teach them from the ground up. So um, it's, it's incumbent to us to, you know, to coach and, and be steady with them and, and demonstrate and model that, that behavior that we want to see in them. But then the find your inner child, it was kind of interesting how, how it came up. My wife and I took our kids to a playground and we were sitting there watching them play. And I was just sort of, sort of amazed at how these kids m made their own environment. They, um, they, they, created games that they were going to play. They created set, sets of rules and sometimes pretty complicated rules. I was actually at one, I was, I was like, I have no idea what they're, what they're, <laughs> I, I don't get it, but, but they all but got, they it. got it. They explained it to themselves. They policed themselves. If someone wasn't following the rules, they got in there and, and said, no, you're not doing this right. You need to play, you need to play it right. Um, they make friends so quickly with, with kids. They'll just go right up and start playing with somebody. They're not hesitant. They don't, 
they don't look at someone with with a suspicious eye. So many things that we we do as adults, we learn, but the thing that we know first is I'm going to go and befriend that person. And I think if we were more like that, if we were more willing to extend ourselves that way and look at the at the good in people and be able to be adaptable like like kids are and be resilient, um, so many of the skills that we need to be successful as professionals, we actually have known for a long time. That's right. But then we get inundated with bad habits yeah. along the way. So if we can strip all that away, I think we can get back yeah. to a more pure version of ourselves. Along this same subject, my last question for Keith was around how we can allow employees the freedom to, like those kids on the playground, create their own rules or ways of playing together. In HR, we are so often seen as the creator of rules and policies and procedures that tell people what they can and more often cannot do. We know that while those rules and policies may be important from a legal perspective, they can be stifling for employees. Research tells us that too many rules hamper innovation, hinder productivity, and make it more difficult for work to get done, all while killing engagement. So I ask Keith why he thinks we in HR are so stuck on creating so many rules when we know it might be better to let the kids just play. We do create rules, and HR is notoriously the you know the, the handbook master. But sometimes we do that to our own detriment. And um, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of um, you know Zappos, uh, the, 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 you know, the yeah. shoe company. They they don't have a handbook. They expect people to be adults and do the right thing, and it's it's so simple. And their employees do, and they hold each other accountable. So it begs the question: So why is a rule book really necessary? Right. Um, now, every company is a little bit different, and I'm not saying that every company should go toss out their, their handbook. I'm, that's right. certainly not advisable in every case. <laughs> but it, what it does say is that people can be trusted to do the right thing for the right reasons if you empower them and you give them, if you give them the why. If you, if you make them part of the solution, they will ultimately do the right thing for you. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. My next interview was with Jasmine Wilkes, or HR Jazzy, as some of you may know her by. Jasmine, unlike Keith, did not start off knowing that she wanted to work in HR. She gained an interest in HR when she was working as a manager after graduating from college. She found the most rewarding parts of her position to be the times when she was doing HR-related tasks, like training and coaching. And it was then that she decided she wanted to pursue a career in HR where she could do more of that type of work. She currently works as an HR assistant in a generalist role where she's getting to experience bits and pieces of all of the functions of HR, building her knowledge and expertise with that exposure. So since Jasmine is still somewhat new herself to the HR field, I started off by asking her who had helped her in her career and how she had found quality mentors, something that I have seen be a challenge for our students and young HR professionals coming into the field. Well, I connected with my local SHRM chapter, which is Nay SHRM in North Alabama, and Christina Minyard, who was the president last year, I heard her speaking one day about millennials, and I was just like, I want to be like her. <laughs> Stop talking about <laughs> millennials. I want to, you know, that's who I want to be like. So I um, kind of start connecting with the local chapter. Um, she's been a, a great person that I can always go to. She's introduced me to so many amazing people, like Sarah Morgan, who is the Buzz on HR. 
And then just getting on Twitter and connecting and finding other HR professionals. Girl, you are good on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that is like been one of the best decisions I've ever made is to make that HR Twitter account and really try to connect with people and ask questions and you know, find out different aspects of HR because there's not one, you know, answer. It, it depends in a lot of situations. So in addition to her Twitter following, Jasmine has also developed a following on her blog. She often uses her blog as a platform to speak to other HR newbies. One of her posts titled Why Experience Matters was specifically for her HR newbie readers. She discussed why experience in the HR field is so important. I think this is something we see often from new HR professionals and probably most new professionals in their fields. They're so eager starting their career. They are so excited to go in and change the world that sometimes they don't know what they don't know. And while Keith earlier mentioned that you don't need to be an expert to lead a team if you are surrounded with a team who have expertise and experience, Jasmine's post focused on those HR newbies who aren't surrounded by a team of experts and might be a little overconfident in their own skills. So I asked Jasmine to elaborate on this. Well, I want them to be eager and I want them to be excited. I want them to believe that in some way they can change the world. But I also want them to realize that you have other people's lives in your hand. You have companies in your hand as HR. HR isn't something to me that you can just go to school and learn. You have to have the experience. And school is a great starting point, but then you have to experience it. And that was the whole thing is, you know, some people come out of college and they're like, well, I think I want to be an HR director within the next five months. And I said, well, <laughs> <laughs> let's think about this here. And so helping them figure out a plan to getting to that director role, I think was really important. And so that's why I wanted to write the blog post to let them know that experience does matter. And we want you to strive for the biggest and best. We want you to be those HR directors, but we need you to get the experience to understand what HR is a little bit. And then to put your twist on it and change it if need be. Yeah, I love that, right? Okay, so jumping off of that, if you could change something right now in HR, what would you take on? Because I'm so passionate about HR newbies because I'm only two years in, I feel like the biggest thing that I would change about HR right now is the acceptance of HR to the new professionals that are entering the career path. I don't feel like enough people are trying to accept them. I think they put that millennial tag, tag on them. That's right. And then it's just like, oh, they're going to be hard to work with. I mean, not just HR, but since that's what I'm in, that's what I really want people to hone in on is the HR professionals that have been here to figure out ways to be more accepting of HR newbies coming in and mentoring them to learn the things that they want them to learn so they won't be that difficult, you know, millennial right. that they right. want to tag them as. Right. It's kind of like the intersection of development and inclusion, yes. right? So while Jasmine is still new to the HR field and even describes herself as an introvert, she has quickly developed an impressive following through her blog and Twitter account. With more than 3,000 followers on Twitter, it is no surprise that she is being asked to blog at HR conferences like SHRM and WorkHuman, sharing her thoughts and learning. So my final question for Jasmine was how she had managed to make such amazing connections and build her following so quickly. 
As an introvert, what did she do to take that leap? Well, one, I created the Twitter account that was, like I said, the, the biggest thing that I feel like pushed my career. I, I feel like had I not met those people, I probably wouldn't be exactly where I am, you know, with the knowledge that I have right now. So getting on Twitter and, you know, just asking different questions about, you know, HR. And then it was me trying to figure out how am I going to get myself together for this SHRM conference? Because the last one in SHRM 17 was the first one I attended, and I had a lot of questions about it. <laughs> so I, I was think like, most first-time exactly. attendees feel that way. So um, I was like, well, let me let me start writing about this and let me connect with people. So that's where the blog came in, and just Twitter's been my biggest asset. Well, and just putting yourself out there, right? Yeah. I think that's the thing about Twitter is just being willing to share your ideas or your thoughts. And yes. It's great. Um, well, thank you so much for sitting with me today. I hope you enjoy the rest of your conference. Soak it in. Yes. It's so amazing. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. My final interview during SHRM 18 was with Carlos Escobar. Carlos is a Texan, my home state, and he actually found his calling in HR by chance. He was in graduate school when he followed a friend to a SHRM chapter meeting, and he found himself sitting in the back of the room, nodding and loving what they were saying. He recalled thinking, we need to do more of this, and we need people to really take up this cause. And so he did. That night, Carlos became a SHRM chapter volunteer, which ultimately led to his first job in HR. And like Keith, he started his career in the staffing world, but has now gained experience working in learning and development and HR analytics. So given that Carlos now has a varied background in HR with expertise in several different areas, I ask him what he thinks is most important for HR professionals to focus on today to help us in the future. SHRM has its HR body of knowledge and competencies, and I think all of those are incredibly important. And, and within them, I think innovation, change management, and project management are incredibly important. Um, again, it goes back to, to what I was saying about HR people having the great skills and great minds and great hearts, but how do we start putting those things into action? So I think um, human-centered design, for example, and innovation. Oh, I love like how do we start design. Exactly. How do we start taking our great ideas and making them executable? How do we start getting people on board? And then how do we help people manage that change or go through that change process? You know, so, um, so that our great idea stands a chance. Yeah. You know? So we just really need, need to be better at um, implementing the things that we want to do so that our great ideas take hold and influence and change people's lives. Love that. Going along the same theme from Jasmine's interview, I also asked Carlos what is his best advice for HR newbies or new HR professionals just getting started in the field. My best advice would just be to um, be open to opportunities. You know, just like what happened to me. You know, go to meetings. Go to if you have a, a local SHRM chapter or any kind of organization, get in there. You know, shake hands, give out cards, um, connect with people. Not just once, follow up with them. Uh, you never know which relationships are going to be the relationships that carry with you. Four or five years later, those are the people who are hiring you, or those are the people you're working with as colleagues, or those are the people who look up to you. You never know who those people are going to be. Um, start early. Start planting the seeds for your professional network and your career. Um, not all of them will grow, but um, the ones that do are incredibly important. Um, relationships begin small. So I, I would just say start doing that. Um, 
connect with the fellow students, um, professors, faculty, anybody. Just make sure you maintain those connections and keep them, I always say warm connections, you know, touch base with people, don't let them cool down. Otherwise, oh, it gets really difficult later on to say, hey, Bethany, we met three years ago. How about you give me a job? Exactly. <laughs> but if we have a, have a relationship and we're consistently talking, you know, that happens naturally. So yeah, that's right. you got to maintain those relationships. That's really good advice. Um, okay, so last question. Um, are you, this is kind of, you know, idealistic, but are you optimistic about HR as a profession and where we're going and yes. why? I like the quick yes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think... Over the years that I've been, especially coming to this conference, um, I've seen a shift in the way we think about work and the way we think about the people who um, work in our organizations. Um, I see us talking more about people as individual humans, as unique and valuable strengths, and that wasn't always the case. You know, it yeah. wasn't something we talked about openly. It was something that maybe got talked about in some of the tables in the corners of the conference, and it just didn't feel right. But now I think it's becoming more and more prevalent. It's becoming necessary. It's probably always been necessary. We're Absolutely. just having the conversation now. It's refreshing, though. Exactly. And if we're really going to solve the engagement problems that we have as a U.S. workforce, um, we really have to value people for who they are yes. and not the job descriptions that they hold. Um, we have to put their uniqueness first, and we have to stop managing them like they're parts of a machine because they're not. You know, if we want to win as organizations, we have to do that. We have to have those conversations, and um, we're getting there. So I'm very optimistic about it. I think we all win when we do that, and um, HR comes along for the ride. You know, if we do HR well, we're in the background, and no one knows it. That's right. You know, we get out of people's way and let them do their job. So, um, yes, very optimistic. Love that. Well, thank you so much for being with me today, taking the time out of this crazy conference to, to sit here and um I am going to maintain this relationship and keep Absolutely. it warm so that we are able to connect in the future. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Carlos. All right. This concludes another episode of HRT. It was so wonderful to connect with Keith, Jasmine, and Carlos at SHRM18. I'd encourage you to check out each of their blogs and connect with them on Twitter. Remember, relationships begin small and you never know where a Twitter connection will take you. But as Carlos said, remember to find ways to maintain and nurture the relationships that you make. All right, so beginning in our next episode of HRT, we will kick off a three-part mini-series on diversity and inclusion. As HR professionals, we all know diversity and inclusion is important to make sure all of our employees feel welcome, supported, and included in our organization. But it is one thing to say it, and it's a harder thing to make sure it happens across all parts of our organization. In each of the next three episodes, I will sit down with a researcher and professor here at Villanova, each of whom is doing some amazing research in the DNI space. I am excited for them to share their work with you and for you to find ways to incorporate it in your workplace so we can create more inclusive organizations. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember, whatever you are drinking, tea, coffee, or something a little bit stronger, I hope it leads you to new ideas that will make work better for all of us. Cheers. Thank you for listening to HRT. As your thoughts from today's episode steep, share with us what you're brewing using the hashtag HRT. That's hashtag H-R-T-E-A. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD 
To learn more about the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University and for all the links and notes from today's episode, visit the Villanova HRD blog at villanovahrd.com.